So, Lord God, I thank you that I'm your child. I'm a child of God. I'm not even a young adult of God or a professor of God or a master of divinity, uh, ordained reverend of God. I'm a child of God. Father, that's really good news when I finally come to believe it. The way there, however, is rather painful at times. But I thank you that it's true. And so, Lord God, would you speak to us, your children, this morning through the message. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the years, I've received uh, some constructive criticism regarding the sermons. Uh, Like, I know that I sweat too much, so I have this rag to... And I'll try not to sweat so much. I also know that I yell too much. Um, it's just the way I am. I always where people think I'm mad at them. I'm not mad. I just, it's genetic or something. I get excited and then I start yelling. A, a recurring uh, theme, another theme, is that people would like uh, sermons that are, that are practical. You know, that help us to know the good so that we can choose the good so we can make good choices. And that's why this morning I'd like to talk to you about kale. (laughs) In just 100 grams of kale, you will find 120 milligrams of vitamin C, 9,990 international units of vitamin A, and 92 milligrams of phosphorus. Vitamin C helps protect us from the common cold. Vitamin A keeps you from going blind. And phosphorus is essential to every molecule and every strand of DNA and every cell in your body. And without it, your bones would crumble. And so unless you want all your bones to break and your cells to turn into jelly, while you crawl through your house blind, suffering from the common cold, you should eat kale. Kale is good. And now you know. So you should choose kale and feel good about yourself. Next time you see the gals at the gym in their skin-tight yoga pants, you can say, Hey, I just ate 200 milligrams of kale. Booyah! Kale is good. Deep dish Italian sausage pan pizza is also good. Long about 1977, I went backpacking with my friend Ken Bailey. We hiked like six, seven miles with heavy packs up to Upper Cataract Lake in the Gore Range Wilderness area. Uh, we hid our packs in the trees, and then we climbed a couple thousand more feet up onto the, onto the top to Dora Lake to see the mountain goats. And then after we saw the mountain goats, we hiked back down uh, to, to the lake, and, and one of us said to the other, hey, let's drive to Vail, sneak into a hotel swimming pool, and take a hot tub. So we loaded up our backpacks back on our back pack again, and we took off down the trail without ever camping. We were cutting through the woods in order to uh, cut past the the switchbacks in order to save time, but we didn't save time because we got lost. We ended up on the wrong trail. But by the time we realized that it was the wrong trail, it, it seemed too far to turn back to the right trail, and we thought, well, we could just make it out of the Cataract Creek drainage on the, on the north side of the creek, uh, just as we had come in on the south side of the creek, and we, and we finally did, but I think we almost died. 
was further than we thought. We got hypothermia. My friend Ken, I remember he would lie down and he just, he wouldn't get up. I'd slap him, pull him up, and I began to shake. Uncontrollably, I began to shake, and I just couldn't stop shaking. Even when we finally made it back to the car and ran the heater, I, I couldn't stop shaking. I was exhausted, and my body was starving. We drove about a half hour to Frisco, still, still shaking. Pizza Hut was open late. We stumbled in and ordered a large deep dish Italian sausage pan pizza. And that pizza was good. I don't even think there are words to, to describe it. I think it's the best thing that I've ever tasted my entire life. Just writing this sermon the other day in my office, I noticed that my mouth was filling with saliva. I was salivating like a dog Inga salivates when I cook hamburgers on the grill. It was just, it was that good. Kale is good. And deep dish Italian sausage pan pizza is good. But it's a different kind of good. King David says God is good, or sings God is good. Psalm uh, 34. Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. This indicates that uh, David wrote this psalm just after this really crazy incident recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 20 and, and 21. As a young war hero, a Geber in Hebrew, David finds out that King Saul is trying to kill him. That's huge, and so he flees Israel, but he stops at the sanctuary which was being kept in a town called Nob where he eats the bread of the presence which he had obtains from a priest named Ahimelech. He then flees into Philistine territory where the Philistines recognize him as an Israelite war hero and they bring him to their king, King Achish. In fear for his life, David starts salivating like our dog Inga when I prepare hamburgers out on the grill. He starts salivating, drooling all over the place and acting as sane. King Achish buys the act and lets him go. It's all a bit confused in Psalm 34 because David seems to refer to Achish as Abimelech, which was the title for Philistine kings at the time, but it's also close to Ahimelech, the priest who gave David the bread of the presence just before he started salivating like Inga salivates when I make hamburgers on the grill. It's all a bit confusing, but it's a song. It's like David sees something, sings about something, although he can't quite fully describe the something. And I think that's kind of cool because I think we see something. And I think we may even have a little more information about the something that, 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 that we're starting to, to see. It's a little like fourth grade. Remember uh, fourth grade? You'd listen to the radio, you'd listen to the songs on the radio, and you pick up on the fact that they're singing about something, but you're not sure what it is. But it is, because they're all singing about it. You just haven't yet developed a taste for it quite yet. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Usually our soul boasts in itself, doesn't it? 
My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him, this is such a great line, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord, Yahweh, it's always Yahweh when the Lord is all in caps, the Yahweh heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Now in verse 4, David wrote that Yahweh delivers him from all his fears, right? So verse 7 means the angel of Yahweh encamps around those who fear, who fear him and delivers them from their fear of Yahweh and the angel of Yahweh. The angel of Yahweh, if you remember, is this weird God-man character that shows up throughout the entire Old Testament. Verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Tob is the Hebrew. Blessed is the Gaber, the young warrior who takes refuge in him. Oh, taste and see that Yahweh is good. Now, if you think about that, that's an utterly bizarre and seemingly rather demented sort of thing to say. Taste and see that Yahweh is, is good. He didn't say try out some principles and see if they work. He said taste and see that Yahweh, the uncreated creator, ground of all being, ineffable light from behind the curtain that dwells on top of the Ark of the Covenant, taste and see that he's good. To this day, most Jews won't even say his name. I think that's probably why most English Bibles don't even print it. They print the Lord. Most Jews won't even say his name. And David writes, take a bite of Yahweh. Most of us think, well, okay, <laughs> that's just a metaphor. That's a metaphor for obedience to some knowledge of things that are good for you, but not actually good. In other words, God is like kale. <laughs> He's good for you. He's good for you. God tells you what would be good for you, and you take the knowledge, apply that knowledge to your life, and make yourself good like God. You can even tell your church friends, hey, I've been saying my prayers, I've been tithing to the church, I got a promotion at work. <laughs> God is good. He works. God is good, in other words, like kale. He's good for making you good. You eat kale, your blood pressure goes down, and you say to your friends, you're right. <laughs> kale is good, it's working. Tastes like long clippings, but yeah, it's working. It's, it's good, kale is good. But I've never ever heard anyone say this. Friends, lovers, listen to me well. Drink deeply, take and eat, taste and see. Kale is it's good. Likewise, I've never ever seen anyone take a big bite of fresh, deep dish Italian sausage pan pizza and say, this pizza isn't working. I don't think there's any phosphorus in this pizza at all. This pizza is not good. In fact, in fact there might not even be such a thing as pizza. Recently, a wonderful friend confided in me, saying, Peter, I'm worried that all of this... All these years of serving Jesus has been a waste. It's not working. 
And I know, I know what he means because I often think the very same thing. Jesus, where are you? Why all these afflictions? At one time you made my life work. I sensed you everywhere. I mean, I have really seen some mind-boggling miracles. Uh, Jesus, at one time you made my life work and now it's not working. Jesus, <laughs> you seem to be, you're, you're like good for nothing, good for nothing. The next day, after talking to that friend, I heard of another friend that said he no longer believed in God because he had suffered years of depression and now he had lost his job. It's not working. Then I visited my mom in her nursing home. She can't walk. She spends most of the day staring at the wall. I think she's getting ready to die. And I think, God, are you good? Because sometimes it seems like you're not working. You see, I must think that God is good like kale. In other words, he's good for making my life work. He's good for something. But according to David, he's good like deep dish Italian sausage pan pizza. Who cares if the pizza's good for something? It's just good. Taste it. It's good. God is good that you can taste. He is beauty that you can see. That's not good for something, it's good for nothing. Beauty is good for nothing, just good. Tobe can be translated as good or beautiful. Beauty is good for nothing, beauty is good for nothing, just, just good. No one looks at a sunset and says, it's not working. Sunset's not working for me, it's not good. It's not beautiful. Only the most depraved look at the Grand Canyon and say, it's not working. That's not working. We need to damn it. Turn it into some hydroelectric power that we can use in order to make our lives good. It's not working. It's a bit strange that I would think God isn't working. Especially when the angel of God, Jesus, said stuff like, pick up your cross, Peter, and come follow. How is that not working. Religion, especially religious TV, tells me that God is good because he works, makes me rich, does miracles. He's good because he works. God is good because he works. I, I listen to that crap, and, and you know what? I really get depressed at times because I think to myself, God's not good because he's not working. And then I go read my Bible, and I think, wait a minute, maybe God is more than good for something, He's good for nothing, just good. He's beautiful. And he's working. Even when he doesn't seem to be working at all. I mean, you really should read your Bible. You know that the Jews were slaves in Egypt for 400 years before they saw that cool miracle with the Red Sea? And then they wandered 40 more years in the desert and died there. Only Joshua and Caleb went into the promise, not even Moses. David's life was filled with affliction and suffering and sorrow, as the Psalms will attest. In verse 6, he writes, This poor man cried, and God heard him and saved him out of all his trouble. This poor He's talking about one man. This one man, yet David knew, we all know plenty of poor men that have cried and have not yet been saved from all their troubles. At least they don't think they have. So God is good for something, but not like kale. 
not like a magic pill or some formula, some medicine. God is good for something, but better than good for something, God is good for nothing, just good. Like deep dish Italian sausage pan pizza. If you need God to be good for something, you probably don't see that he's just good. He's beautiful. In other words, if you need some reason to love him, maybe you don't love him. If kale wasn't good for something, I sure wouldn't eat it. If God wasn't good for something. If God were like a baby in a manger or a poor naked man nailed to a tree, would you love him? Would you call him good? Well, God is like deep dish Italian sausage pan pizza. When when you're lost and when you're starving, he's good like that, tastes good. So David writes, taste and see that Yahweh, the Lord, is good. The Lord is beautiful. He's the beauty in every sunset. He's the truth in every poem. He's the rhythm in every song. He's the light and the life in every smile. Beauty is there, writes David Bentley Hart, who we're going to interview next week. Beauty is there, abroad in the order of things, given again and again in a way that defies description and denial with equal impertinence. In other words, you really can't define beauty. And yet you really cannot deny beauty. Beauty, uh, uh, you can't deny beauty because, well, everyone recognizes beauty. (laughs) I think everyone is a little bit offended by it and yet at the same time longs for it. Taste that God is good. See that God is beauty, writes David. God is tobe. It's an utterly fascinating word in Scripture. In Genesis 1, God creates everything in six days or eons or epochs, and at the end of each day, he looks and he sees that everything is tobe. Everything is good. And that's utterly fascinating, for Jesus told us that none is good but God alone. That means that if everything is good on the seventh day, God is in everything that's anything. It's all good. And yet on the sixth day, before it is finished, God says something is not good. Remember, we've been talking about it. He says something is not good. Something is not tobe. It is not good that the Adam, humanity, is alone. Adam is alone in the presence of God, who is the tobe, the good. The Lord then makes Adam male and female, which is a picture of him and us. And then he puts a tree in the middle of the garden and another tree in the middle of the garden. Uh, So it's two trees that look like one or one tree that looks like two. On the tree or the trees is the life and the knowledge of good tobe and evil not Tob. God says, literally, you eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you do not eat. For in the day you eat of it, dying you die. Well, we know that the life is Jesus, right? 
And, and we know that God is the good and that the good in the human flesh is Jesus. He is the life and the good in flesh. The tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of Tob must have looked like this. Do you die if you eat from that tree? Or do you live if you eat from that tree? <laughs> or both? Is the tree evil? <sighs> well, it certainly is the knowledge of evil, isn't it? Evil is taking the life of the good. Is the tree good? Well, it's the knowledge of our own evil, and it's the knowledge that God is good. I mean, my goodness, that is the very definition of good. That's the very definition of Tob. That's the very revelation of love. How do you judge this tree? You know, someone once said, you don't judge great art. Great art judges you. You don't judge beauty. Beauty judges you. David writes, taste and see that God is Tob. God is good. Taste and see that God is beautiful. God is goodness. God is beauty. So if God doesn't taste good to you or look beautiful to you, maybe the problem is with your taster. For too long I've been parched of thirst and unable to quench it. Too long I've been starving to death and haven't died. I feel nothing. Not the wind on my face, nor the spray of the sea, nor the warmth of a woman's flesh. You best start believing in ghost stories, Miss Turner. You're in one. If you remember the story, Captain Barbosa stole the treasure. He took the good as his own private possession, and then everything died. He could no longer taste the bread. He could no longer enjoy the wine. The Lord said, the day you eat of it, dying, you will die. And Paul tells us that apart from Christ, we're all dead in our trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of all of us dead. <laughs> It was a snake in the garden that suggested that we take and eat. For with the fruit of the tree, we could make ourselves in the image of God. In other words, the fruit of the tree is good like, this is what the snake suggested, the fruit of the tree is good like kale. It's good to make yourself good. Good to create yourself, good to redeem yourself, good to save your, your, yourself. Jesus broke bread and gave himself the life and the knowledge of the good. Take and eat, he said. Do you take in order to make yourself good? 
or you, do you take because he is good? Like deep dish Italian sausage pan pizza. What I'm asking is, do you use him but don't really like him, <laughs> kind of like kale? Or do you adore him and ingest him because he's good, like deep dish Italian sausage pan pizza? Now, he may be good for you, but more than good for you, he's just good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Not simply good for something, just good. He is the good. He is beauty. He is truth and life himself. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How? Well, maybe it has to do with allowing your world to become enchanted with him, like we preached about a couple weeks ago. Maybe it means gratitude. In other words, maybe it's the realization that he is the life in every child, the truth in every poem, the beauty in every flower. So children, words, and flowers are not simply items to be used for your own purposes. They're all temples at which you can encounter the glory of God and surrender to the glory of God, worship the glory of God. They're all occasions for, for worship. Children are not to be used. Words are not to be twisted. Even flowers should not be mowed until after you taste and you see and you say, wow, Lord, good job with the flower. I, those dandelions are beautiful. <laughs> taste and see. I think it means enjoying the beauty that constantly surrounds you. And even thanking God for those moments where it appears to no longer surround you, for it's in those moments that God refines your taster. Because in the dark, what do we long for? Light, right? In isolation, we begin to long for what? Communion. In death, we learn to love the life, and we hope for the resurrection. Surrounded by evil, we begin to long for the good. Not, not because it, it's good for you, but because it tastes good. The tobe tastes good, like deep dish Italian sausage pan pizza. Taste and see must mean worship God everywhere and every when. And for David and the Israelites, it meant something more, something extremely tangible. You may remember that when the Israelites were lost those 40 years in the wilderness, God sent bread from heaven. If they took bread and they hoarded the bread, it went bad. But if they thanked God for the bread, they always had just what they needed. Just what they needed. J J Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Many Jews believe the temple was built on the ancient site of Eden, and we know that the top of the ark behind the veil was definitely a picture of Eden. In front of the veil, the priest would place the bread of the presence. That's what David ate before he wrote, Taste and see that Yahweh is good. In the temple, the Israelites would sacrifice. Modern Americans don't understand sacrifice. In ritual sacrifice, a worshiper recognizes that the life has, be, has been given. You do realize that all food is life. It's plant life or it's animal life. Americans just kill life, consume life, and usually don't even say thank you for the life, God. 
But in sacrifice, a worshiper acknowledges that the life which has been taken has also been given, even forgiven by God. In Israel, they would often eat sacrifices in the presence of the Lord with the Lord as an act of communion. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The premier sacrifice, the first sacrifice commanded by God was the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. No one could explain it. But all were expected to taste it, to eat it, to experience it, and to trust that God is good. And and they all knew this weird command from Exodus chapter 12 that the bones of the Passover lamb must never be broken. Jesus is our Passover lamb. And on Passover, he took bread and said, this is my body given to you. This is the covenant in my blood. Take and eat, taste, and, 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 and drink. In the morning, he was crucified on a tree in a garden. We took his life, and he gave his life. Particularly in the West, for the last 400 years, we've been preoccupied with understanding how this works. How, um, how the cross works. Our explanation of how it works are called theories of the atonement, and that's what they are, theories. Because the Lord never seemed interested in telling us exactly how his death and resurrection worked. Why it's good for us. Yet he seemed terribly concerned that we would taste it and we would see that God is good good not just good for something but good like deep dish italian sausage pan pizza is good when you're lost and starving good like roast lamb with bitter herbs and dark red wine and fresh baked bread this is my body this is my blood eat it you can't explain it you can't work it you must eat it and know i am good taste and see why would we not taste and see? Well, that's a huge question, but maybe it's because we're afraid. Afraid of losing control. I mean, we don't know exactly wh- wh- what it is. Maybe we don't know what the good truly is. That was Adam's problem, right? He, he was alone in the presence of the good. Why? because he had no knowledge of the good. He didn't know God is good. That was Adam's problem. I think maybe it's our problem. When my boys were little, if you asked them, hey, John Coleman, what's good? And now what I mean by that, John and Coleman, is what do you like? What do you want? They'd say Hot Wheels. Hot Wheels, Hot Wheels, Hot Wheels. I want Hot Wheels. Hot Wheels are good. Down in Golden at the Safeway, Hot Wheels were 97 cents a piece. And so I used to just love getting the boys Hot Wheels. At the time, and I'm not lying about this, at the time I was so wealthy that I could buy every Hot Wheel on aisle three at the Safeway store, no problem. And yet sometimes when the boys would whine, Daddy, 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 I want a a Hot Wheel, I wouldn't get them a Hot Wheel. 
And if they cried and said, you don't love me because you're not, you're not getting me a Hot Wheel, ooh, then I really wouldn't get them a Hot Wheel for like a long time. And if you're a parent, you know why. I didn't want to be good for something like kale. I didn't want my boys to think of me like, like kale, but like deep dish Italian sausage pan pizza. I didn't want them to think that I was just good for Hot Wheels. I wanted them to taste and see that I was good, and I was the good in their Hot Wheels. I knew that spoiled kids were miserable kids, for spoiled kids get, their, they, they, they get what they want and find out that they can no longer want what they get. As spoiled kids crucify the giver for want of the gift, and then everything dies. Spoiled kids are like little pirates for whom the wine loses its taste, and every kiss, every hug is a threat instead of a, a, a blessing. Spoiled kids don't know that it's the love of the giver in the gift that is the good that makes the gift good. They can no longer taste and no longer see that the good is love. And so sometimes without explanation, sometimes whether or not they had thrown a little fit or not, uh, when they would ask for, I'd just say no. And I'd take them on a little journey through the desert so that one day they could taste and see me. Understand, for them, I wanted to be good for nothing, just good. So even if I were a baby in a manger, a poor naked man nailed to a tree, or a 90-year-old codger confined to a bed in a nursing home who couldn't afford one Hot Wheel, my boys would still come sit with me in, in my presence, not because I was good for something, but just because I was good. And you see, that's the way I feel about them. They're good for nothing, just good. Even when they'd be whining and crying at the grocery store. And believe me, it was far uh, easier at that point to buy them a Hot Wheel than to say no and suffer the pain. But I wouldn't work for them. And ironically, that's when I really went to work for them and even in them. This is hard to explain, but there's something in me that actually wants to suffer for my kids. I mean, it's almost scary to talk about, but I think there is something in me that kind of almost wants to suffer, even die for my kids, and show them that I would die for them, not because I should, but because I want to. I mean, it's not like kale. It's like deep dish Italian sausage pan pizza. It's, it's love. And it's not just good for something. It's good. It's good for nothing, just good. It's love. And, it, and it's not me. It's the good in me. It's the will of God in me. It's love. I can't boast in it or boast of it. I can only be grateful for it. People boast about eating kale because nobody likes eating kale. Nobody boasts about eating deep dish Italian sausage pan pizza. If you boast about your love, you probably don't love love. You've taken love, crucified love, and you think that love is just like your own decision. God is love. 
Love can be terrifying. In fact, oftentimes it is terrifying, but taste and see. Love is good, and the good is love. Well, anyway, David continues his song. We don't have time to talk about all this, but let's at least read it and hopefully get your brain and your mind and your heart spinning. Verse eight, taste and see, and, and then verse nine, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good. The translator adds the word thing, but in the Hebrew it's just they lack no good. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there? who desires life and loves many days that he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking dissent. Love truth. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Love love. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. Now this is in the plural. And his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, not tobe, to, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When they, and now this is interesting, in, in, Hebrew, in Hebrew it's just they, they it just says the translator adds the righteous but but it's just they when they cry for help plural the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit many are the afflictions and and it's just the evils the evils suffered raw many are the afflictions of the righteous and now this is in the singular but the Lord delivers him out of them all so So the Lord delivers this righteous one from all these troubles through the many afflictions, the many evils that he suffers, the righteous one. Next verse. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil or affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. So affliction slays wickedness, but it delivers righteousness somehow. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. That's fascinating. But I think translators struggle with Psalm 34 because David sings about the troubles of all, but also the righteousness of one. The poor man who cries to the Lord, the, the, the righteous one who seems to suffer the many afflictions of all. Verse 20, he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. David isn't singing about himself. In Psalm 51, he even sings that God has broken his bones. Isn't that a crack up? He's not singing about himself and his own righteousness. John, the beloved disciple, says he's singing about Jesus. John 19, 34, he tells us that when they crucified Jesus on the tree in the garden, they didn't break his legs, quote, that scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Body broken, not bones broken, body broken and blood shed. You see, he is the good in us. He is love in us. He is righteousness in us. He is our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, writes Paul. I am the resurrection and the life, says Jesus. So taste and see that he is the good in you. I spent Monday and Tuesday this week with my mom at the nursing home in New Mexico. Her husband is dead. Her children live in three different states. Her grandchildren live in three or four different countries. Her strength is gone, her hearing is gone, her mind is going. She sits and stares at a wall and do you know what I think she wants? 
She wants love. She wants communion. She wants God. Like a starving boy wants pizza. It'd be easy to look at that and think, oh, it's not working. Oh, but maybe it is working. Exactly. And according to plan. Maybe we each take this confusing journey through all these afflictions to develop an appetite for love. I mean free love. Relentless love. Absolute grace. God is good and the good is love and love is life, eternal life. Hebrews 2.9, by the grace of God, Jesus, quote, tastes death for everyone. He tastes death for everyone. He dies with us that we would live life eternal with him. And so I think, I think soon, maybe soon, mom might feel forsaken. She might find herself having to surrender all good things and then the good in her, Jesus in her, will speak with her, and he will speak through her, saying, Father, into your hands I surrender our spirit. She'll breathe out. God will breathe her in. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, absolutely everything will be deep dish Italian sausage, pan pizza. She will know the good. And she will love the good in freedom. Everywhere and every when, every hot wheel will be good. Every leafy green, including kale, will taste good. All her sorrow will turn into joy, and her sins will become the ecstasy of God's imminent indwelling grace. She will be constantly filled with God, always desiring God like an endless nonstop, all-you-can-eat Pizza Hut buffet. I can't explain all your afflictions and all your troubles. I struggle to understand why God would subject all creation to futility and consign humanity to disobedience. I don't entirely understand why he would put two naked people in a garden with an evil talking snake and this terrible tree. I do wonder why he would allow us to get so lost, so confused, and so hungry, but I do know this. He wants all of us to taste and to see that he is good. And so he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Now take, now eat. And in the same way, he took the cup, saying, this is the covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. And so taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Amen? So, Father in heaven, we thank you Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are good. And I thank you that we do love you. And we will love you. God, you were the good in the deep dish 
Italian sausage pan pizza at Pizza Hut that night. And you had been the good in every deep dish Italian sausage pan pizza that I'd ever eaten. I just, I just hadn't really tasted it before. You are the good e even in the kale, and you're, you're good and you're good for us. And Lord God, I know that everyone in this room loves you, even if they don't know that it's you. I didn't know it was you in the pizza. I didn't know it was you in the sunset. I didn't know it was you in the flowers. But I, I thank you that you're showing me, and I thank you that you're showing each of us just how deep. You're, well, we could never reach the bottom, but you're showing us how deep your, your goodness goes. For you revealed your heart on a tree in a garden. And so, Lord God, I thank you that you are good. And I thank you that you are so good that we will love you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength because of what you have done in Jesus. Amen. You know, uh, for years, for 12 years actually, or even, no, for longer than that, I've really wondered why do get people get so offended when I suggest that God might just save everybody? And, and I think it's because we all think that loving God is like eating kale. <laughs> so folks are proud that they ate their kale. And they're offended at the idea that others might not eat their kale and still might get to eat the deep dish Italian sausage pan pizza. They don't understand. They have not seen, they have not tasted that God is the deep dish Italian sausage pan pizza. God is love, and love's not a curse. Love is not a payment you pay. Love's a gift. Love is the blessing. God is love, and there is plenty of pizza for all.